first of all, thank you again for joining us for this podcast. We want to hear the students are really interested in understanding the ways that public health can be more concrete and have real impacts in people's lives. And someone was telling me about your work with the Port of Oakland, and so I wanted to hear a little bit about that project. But in the beginning, I would just like to hear more about yourself and your career path. You know, I I have a pretty traditional origin story. Um, I I started out to be a doctor um, and was, you know, raised in Canada and decided I wanted to go to medical school at Johns Hopkins because somebody told me it was the best medical school in the world. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but that's where I ended up going. And, you know, I was really interested in becoming a neurosurgeon. I had done a lot of neuroscience research as an undergraduate and uh, was fascinated by the brain. And when I got to Baltimore, I, I saw some environmental conditions immediately adjacent to Johns Hopkins Medical School in East Baltimore that shocked me. And the conditions were dilapidated houses and burnt out cars and weeds growing up in the sidewalks and infrastructure that was clearly neglected. Uh, and, and I couldn't understand how the conditions of that neighborhood had gotten so um, absolutely adverse to the well-being, particularly of children, and was told by an upperclassman that I should have expected those conditions because that was the inner city. And so that kind of set me on a different trajectory in medical school, and I became much more interested in the, the underlying policies that created conditions in communities, and particularly when those communities were populated by people of color, um, and specifically African-Americans in the Baltimore context. And so that's a little bit of my origin story. It was sort of a traditional medical, you know, kind of trajectory until I was confronted with socioecological conditions in in East Baltimore that I thought were shocking to the conscience and um, basically propelled me on another path to try to understand how those conditions had been created and how... Um, there may be opportunities to undo those and improve uh, those conditions because I could not, for the life of me, imagine a scenario under which those conditions didn't shape the health of children and families in, in those kinds of communities. And that took me to Capitol Hill. I got the opportunity to work with Ted Kennedy in the Labor and Human Resources Committee um, and met a bunch of policy makers, mostly lawyers, and was fascinated by the fact that um, law was really kind of language of policy. And I was interested in policy, so I decided to go after medical school and training to go to law school and ended up at Berkeley, uh, graduated from law school around the time that Bill Clinton was elected and, and got involved in health policy. And the rest has been kind of a just a path of following my interest since that point um, into public health and then into governmental public health and then finally into philanthropy uh, with a focus on public health. Thank you for sharing that. Over a decade ago, you were working to solve the problem of transportation pollution due to shipping activities associated with the Port of Oakland. 
Um, can you tell us about how you became involved with that work and maybe tell us how that work went in terms of changing policy? Yeah. Uh, the the Port of Oakland work was some of the most fascinating work I've ever engaged in, and it it came about by um, a relationship with this fantastic community organizer by the name of Margaret Gordon um, in West Oakland, who started an or- actually several organizations in West Oakland to deal with environmental racism, and I had been fascinated ever since medical school with the role of, of place on health and had uh, spent quite a bit of time in Alameda County trying to uh, look at the impact of places like West Oakland and East Oakland on the health of residents in those communities. And we did this big project with um, death certificates where we documented a 22-year life expectancy difference between the Oakland Flatlands and the Oakland Hills. And in the process of doing that work, which was published and got a lot of attention, um, we wanted to understand in greater detail the socio-ecological conditions in West Oakland and and were, were basically introduced to Margaret Gordon and her incredible work. And Margaret at the time was uh, working on the Port of Oakland. And, you know, what was fascinating about the Port of Oakland is that it wasn't just the trucks. Uh, West Oakland is surrounded by freeways, transected, in fact, by freeways. And um, the trucks would come to the Port of Oakland to ship um, uh, materials from the port uh, all around the country. And, and the West Coast. And the port at the time was the fourth uh, busiest inner port in, in North America. And, and so there were thousands of truck trips going into and out of West Oakland every day along the freeways. And then the trucks would have to congregate um, at the port waiting uh, to get their their shipments. And diesel trucks are such that you can't just turn them off. You've got to leave the uh, engine running. So they'd be idling in these massive lines in West Oakland, emitting um, particulate uh, air pollution into the immediate community. And not only were the trucks emitting diesel particulate emissions, but the uh, ships themselves would burn this fuel when they were in port called bunker fuel which was sort of a high sulfur, very low cost, uh, very polluting fuel. And um, so that was contributing to the uh, diesel particulate burden in the air in West Oakland. And then on top of that, you had diesel trains running into those ports. And then the crane equipment that was lifting the containers off the ships also were run by diesel engines. So you had a a perfect storm of air pollution there from at least four sources from the ports, the ships, the equipment crane, the train, the trucks, and then you had the freeways transecting West Oakland. And so when we looked at the data, the health status of West Oakland and document these you know, dramatic differences in life expectancy, much higher burdens of rest 
respiratory disease, asthma, emphysema, cardiovascular disease, um, we made the argument that um, a significant con contributor to uh, the poor health status in West Oakland was the activities of the Port of Oakland. And so we joined uh, a number of different groups, including some labor groups, that were taking on um, the practice of the port. Um, let me just say that the port, the port truck drivers were not employees of some of the largest companies in the world that were shipping goods through uh, the port of Oakland. You're talking about Target, Walmart, Home Depot, big um, retailers that were manufacturing their products in, in Asia, uh, having these products shipped through West Coast ports and then delivered on truck to various locations where they would sell them. But the truck drivers that were delivering this material were not employees of Walmart or Target or Home Depot. They were independent contractors. And when you actually interviewed these truck drivers, many of them were immigrants, um, oftentimes not English speaking, oftentimes also suffering from asthma, heart disease, and a variety of other chronic diseases, and seeking health care because they were uninsured at Alameda County's health system uh, where they could get free health care. So Target and, and Walmart and Home Depot were, and these are, were some of the wealthiest corporations in the world, were exploiting these oftentimes um, recent immigrants, some undocumented, non-English speaking, um, to essentially bear the burden of transporting their goods to their retail stores and being exposed to all of this diesel particulate emissions as they waited in these long lines to get um, their cargo uh, at the ports. So we saw this, this capitalist exploitation of the most egregious sort manifesting itself um, in the Port of Oakland, both in the drivers and then in the local community. And at the same time, we were dealing with some of the wealthiest corporations in the world. And the port was telling us that um, this was not their responsibility. So we recognized that this would have to be a fight. The goal was twofold. One was to reduce the amount of diesel particulate emissions, and that was primarily through a strategy of electrification of the port um, to try to uh, improve the, the fleet of trucks that were coming in there to get modern left-polluting trucks, to electrify the cargo equipment, um, to stop the ships from burning bunker fuel, and to uh, minimize the amount of train uh, diesel exhaust as well, you know, in, in the, uh, the cargo shipments that were coming out of the port. The second piece was really to look at the labor relations um, and the configurations in uh, amongst the truckers, because the truckers could not afford to rehab these trucks that, you know, a new truck could cost $100,000 at the time. And these were some of the least able people in that whole equation to be able to afford the financing of new trucks. 
Meanwhile, these large corporations were making enormous profits. So we felt that it was important for them to pay the costs of uh, essentially uh, improving the air quality and improving the uh, work um, quality and um, lives of the truckers. So that was basically the battle. And it was a battle that had both a legislative side, it had sort of a public um, campaign side. Um, it had local uh, initiatives in terms of trying to preclude truckers from using residential streets to park and idle. And um, it was a complex microcosm of the kinds of exploitations you see in situations where you have essentially unbridled capitalism being allowed to, you know, determine the term of the game. It seems tough because there are so many elements at different levels there. How did you, I guess, it seems like there were probably smaller kind of wins that you could get versus some of these larger systemic issues that might, you know, take decades or your whole life to address. How did you think through that? Yeah, so we were obviously working in coalition with community leaders, with environmental justice organizations, with some uh, government entities, including the uh, air, air, the local air resources board, as well as the state air resources board. Um, some of the public health agencies within the state um, government as well. The interesting thing was that it was kind of a government versus government battle, in a sense. The, the Port of Oakland is a, is a division, it's a department of the city of Oakland. And the port commissioners, um, many of them uh, were appointed government officials um, who had an interest. The, the Port of Oakland is one of the biggest economic drivers of the city of Oakland and Alameda County. And so there was this constant sort of refrain coming from the port about how they couldn't risk their, you know, souring relationships with these big shippers because they would shift their business to the port of Los Angeles or or up to Seattle or something or in this competitive battle to maintain their their market share of shipment. Um and so my bosses, I was politically appointed by the Board of Supervisors in Alameda County. Um, there were county supervisors that were on the board of the Port of Oakland. And so, uh, or, or at least had a role in both appointing um, port commissioners. So we recognized very early that this there was a sort of a government versus government aspect to this battle. And therefore, we needed to go as public as we could. And so, you know, this is why we chose a strategy that, you know, involved newspaper op-eds and the, and the local newspapers, um, you know, reports that could be reported on by the press, um, public um, events, um, going to the port itself, speaking to the port commissioners, you know, and sort of an open meetings that could be documented and 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 filmed um and you know going to my own board of supervisors and saying look i'm the health officer this is my job i'm going to do this job 
and you know, having them say to me, you've got your job to do and we have our job to do. So just know that we may criticize you in public. <laughs> and I, oh, you know, bring it on because, <laughs> you know, that's my job. Um, and, and to their credit, they did criticize me in public, but they didn't fire me, um, which I did appreciate. <clears throat> Although I would have been willing to have been fired for that because <laughs> it was literally my job. Um, and that, that's one of the big lessons, I think, of public health. If you're not sort of at risk of being fired periodically in your career, you're probably not doing your job right. Mm, that's powerful point. Because you have to confront power. You have to confront power. And, and most of the public health advocacy struggles that we end up being engaged in at some level are about a market justice philosophy versus a social justice philosophy. And that's what the Port of Oakland battle was. Um, market justice was dictating the terms of how shipping occurred in West Oakland. And we were trying to essentially reestablish a social justice frame, which is of which environmental justice is a major component. When you look back on that, do you feel like it was a all-out victory, partial victory? How do you look back on that? effort i I, th I think that it was a victory because we won the narrative battle and narrative dictates policy and policy dictates conditions now in terms of the policy that's been developed since that time there's been enormously good policy around air quality electrification and uh, mitigation um and i at the time we were in that battle we weren't winning the narrative battle. The economic value of the port and its shipping business was seen as the dominant concern. And we were able to shift that narrative to highlight the environmental justice, the social justice narrative that ultimately um, allowed for policy that could uh, mitigate and sort of rebalance the equation of um, economics versus public health. And it wasn't a direct win, and it certainly wasn't an outright win, but it led to subsequent work um, between the Port of Oakland and the Port of Long Beach, LA, uh, which is the, the country's largest container port. Um, along similar lines and coalitions that came up out of West Oakland and Long Beach on these issues that shared strategy, shared policy, shared tactics, um, worked with labor in the same way around the issues related to the truck drivers and worked with the respective air boards, uh, the regional ones and the statewide ones, one, and um, pushed policy. Um, that led to um, constraints around diesel particulate emissions from these kinds of uh, settings. Thank you. I find this completely inspiring, and um, I assume the students will too, so I appreciate you sharing this story. Maybe if you could talk to the folks that will pursue environmental justice work for their career, and maybe the, the ones that may not have that opportunity end up working in a different path that's more corporate. Yeah, I think the world is changing in, in some really good ways in, in, in this regard. Um, I think that uh, there's a, 
the, the fundamental conflict at the corporate level is short-term thinking versus long-term thinking. And short-term thinking leads to ignoring the externalities, the pollution, the injury to your workforce, the moral injury to um, the people who, who work for you, as well as um, you know people who are, are immediately benefiting from whatever profits you're making. So the short-term focus is, is I think, the, the real problem. And what's changing, in no small part due to things like social media, is that corporations have to be acutely concerned about their brand. And their brand is really much more tied to the, a long-term focus, their reputation, their uh, carbon footprint, their business practices, and how their employees feel about their work and, and their company. And so I think that there are real opportunities to, uh, to work from within um, corporations to help them focus on their long-term brand as opposed to just their short-term um, profits. And that's the fundamental struggle that most people who end up working in these, that, that I know of, that I end up advising, that work in these settings, that's what they tell me is the conflict. It's how to get away from short-termism. So I, I think that there are opportunities there, but you know, at the end of the day, Capitalism is fundamentally about exploitation. I mean, it's uh, virtually by definition. And as a consequence, there has to be the role of government to regulate, to manage, to set the rules, to set high enough floor, to address the externalities, and to police um, the extremes of capitalism. And so I do believe that that's public health's role is to engage in a vigorous policing, balancing, um, and hopefully investing in the long-term health and well-being of communities that have been you know, discriminated against, marginalized, and, and relegated to environments where uh, resources and opportunities are depleted. So there's a, there's a direct role that students can play in that space in environmental justice. And environmental justice is really kind of like the leading edge of social justice. Environmental justice has for a long time been about resisting adverse land uses. And social justice is really about kind of going even further upstream and looking for investment opportunities, proactive investment opportunities in the, in the, essentially the infrastructure of opportunity. Um, you know, so looking at making sure people get a good education, looking, making sure that people live in communities where they can affirmatively be healthy, find healthy food, exercise, safety, have good infrastructure, potable water, uh, access to broadband, etc. So social justice is concerned about a much broader kind of opportunity landscape. And it's basically the environment defined broadly. Um, and, and so I think that there are for students opportunities to work in traditional environmental justice and opportunities to work on sort of larger scale social justice issues. And because of the marketplace, 
some many may end up in uh, in the private sector and in the private sector again the battle is between short-term thinking and long-term thinking i love that and i mean i feel like there have been really good examples of people pushing with from within insider activism yeah i, I mean i I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful, despite the fact that we're in a dark time in this country <laughs> history. I'm hopeful because I have the privilege of working with students who are not only idealistic, but smart and understand these challenges and understand kind of uh, the moral injury that ignoring this produces not only in individuals, but in communities. And they're committed to doing something about it. So I feel like there's a lot of opportunity to do that kind of good. And it doesn't have to be at a public health department. It doesn't have to be at the community level. It can also be um, in the private sector. Uh, You just have to know what the battle that you're waging is about. I really appreciate this. So excited about the things you had to talk about. I may ask you to do this again. I'll give you a break. Thank you so much. Uh, no problem. Anytime. All right. I'll be in touch. Okay. Take okay. care. Bye-bye.